This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Welcome back to Docera Digest. I'm Dr. Kyson Frank, and we are going to go over our approach when dealing with stress and anxiety. So today I kind of want to talk about our assessment, what we do in the office. So we have looked at this series, all kinds of stress and stressors over the course. And how do we define it? How do we correctly address it? We need to find out what the root cause is or issues that can exasperate the stress in our lives that we have right now. So sometimes we have these molehills that we just turn into mountains and what is doing that? What is putting something that we should be able to get over quickly into something that lingers for days, weeks, months, years, and we have trouble with that. So we need to find out what those root causes are. So this can be done with many different approaches and treatments. We like to utilize a specialized approach called adjunctive testing, and we call it somatic resonance testing, to go through and actually find what the root cause is, whether it's a stealth infection that's creating inflammation or releasing toxins that elevate our cortisol response. Is it trauma in the past? Is it structural imbalances requiring us extra energy consumption to balance out our body's normal posture? Is it mental stress? Do we need to incorporate many of the techniques that we learned in episode five from breathing to exercise to diet to the way we think, the way we feel, and address those things? Do we need to change our diet to less of an inflammatory one? Our approach is to find the root cause of your dysfunction in the body, not just to treat the symptoms as we search for these causative factors. We want to get the best results. So finding the dysfunctions is only half the job. The other half is finding the correct course of treatment or methods that we use that will get us there. In this course of treatment, we as the doctors will find the best remedies, supplements, or course of counseling or advice to help you to the best of our ability. As we think, so we are. We change our minds to think differently and to change our thought patterns and behaviors. This is probably the hardest thing to do because it takes a focused and concerted effort on the patient's behalf. So we work for you. We're going to try to give you the best advice to help you get there. But this is a teamwork. A lot of people don't view that when it comes to healthcare. Well, the doctor is going to fix what's wrong with me. No, no, this is, this is a teamwork approach. I'm working with you, trying to help you. You have to make a concerted effort and do the things that we advise for we can find out whether or not they fix the issue so we can move on to the next step. And so this is an important aspect that our Patients really need to keep in mind that we are looking at forming a partnership, a teamwork with you to help you get through your immediate crisis of what you're dealing with and to help you in the future and continue that teamwork as we need to, to help you progress to where you need to be to live your best life, achieve the purpose for which you're here. You spent your whole life becoming who you are, for better or worse. 
It'll take the rest of your life to take these thoughts captive, examine them to see whether they're serving us, serving us appropriately. And this will change too, because in our middle of our life versus toward the end of our life, we have different thought patterns and different things that will serve us at one point that won't serve us later on. And so this is a continually evolutionary thing as we tar start to change who we are and adapt for what's best for us at these stages of our life. So we all work in this realm trying to help our patients overcome mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual issues to the best of our abilities because your health is connected to all of these things. Now, today I'm going to let uh, other doctors expand on this. So Dr. Bowers is going to talk about you stress or your stress. <laughs> Dr. K is going to go over different coping processes. And Dr. Luke will sing Let It Go. Oh, you're going to talk about Let It Go. Sorry. And Dr. Craig, Dr. Craig will wrap this whole series up talking about therapies and other approaches and kind of going in depth on some things that to really kind of help you take it home and, and let you know what we are here for at our clinic. We want to help everyone live their best life and to achieve their purpose. And that's really our heartfelt goal in everything we do. As part of this series is, is trying to help us deal with the stresses. Part of the reason why we do this whole podcast is to try to convey information that will help you change your life for the better. So with that being said, you stress, Dr. Ben. Thanks. If I give you my stress, is it still you stress or is it still my stress? It's, it's your stress. I don't accept you stress. <laughs> it's distress. We're, we're going to talk about that stress too. Distress or that stress? You all are stressing uh, me out. Yeah. We're going to discuss all Let that. it go. So <laughs> okay. what I want to do is I want to, we're making a lot of fun about this, but it's our way of coping with the stress, right? So I want to capsulize a couple of things here that we're going to talk about, or we have talked about in all these series of what chronic stress is or distress does and the negative effects it has on our lives. So I won't go into great, great detail about all these, but there's a couple of things I want to bring up. So the, the first thing that we look at what chronic stress or distress does, it affects the heart, all right? It can cause high blood pressure increased cholesterol, heart disease, and even heart attacks, which then can lead to oxidative stress, or it can also cause oxidative stress, which leads to all kinds of health issues from increased inflammation to reduced immune response and even central nervous system dysfunction, joint and muscle pains. And the primary disease that affects kids and even some adults in this case is asthma, as stress in the home can greatly increase this disease. And then COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is the latent outcome of oxidative stress. And that also increases the aging process. Then we talk about obesity. Stress causes higher levels of hormone cortisol, which seems to increase the amount of fat that is deposited in both the abdomen and the, and the buttocks and the thighs. And then diabetes. First, it increases the likelihood of bad behaviors, such as unhealthy eating and excessive drinking, which then leads to number two, stress seems to raise the glucose levels of people that leads to type two or type three diabetes. Then headaches, stress is considered one of the most common triggers for both tension headaches as well as migraine headaches. Then digestive issues and or gut problems, stress is a very common factor in chronic heartburn or gastroesophageal reflux disease, otherwise known as GERD, and IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome. That kind of came out fun, didn't it? And then seven, emotionally, chronic stress can manifest as irritability or aggression, as Dr. Craig talked about, uh, feeling a loss of control, insomnia, the inability to fall asleep or stay asleep. And over, I was reading a research article, over 44% of Americans claim to have that as of today. Increased fatigue and chronic exhaustion, sadness or tearfulness, concentration and memory or recall issues, as well as anxiety, depression, and burnout. Then number eight, Alzheimer's disease or dementia, 
One study found that stress can increase the chance of developing Alzheimer's disease, causing brain lesions to form more quickly. And number nine, accelerated aging. There is scientific evidence that stress can affect how you age. One study showed that stress seemed to accelerate aging from nine to 17 additional years. And we've all seen it. You look at somebody and you look at their age and you go, wow, they look young or old. And I used to use this as a joke when I taught you know, doctors all around the country. And I would say to them, well, I don't look bad for a 65-year-old. Back then, I was 40 or 5 or 55. And so I tell people now, I don't look bad for a 75-year-old. I'm not, but almost 67. <laughs> but all right. And then the last one is premature death. One study looked at the health effects of people who are naturally under a great deal of stress, and it found a 63% higher rate of death than people their age who are not under chronic stress. So as we said... All of these should be no surprise, as in this series, we are showing how chronic stress is connected with higher rates of all these different diseases and even death. So now let me switch gears here and talk about you stress or Dr. Craig's stress and how to make stress good for you. <laughs> the word was first introduced by endocrinologist Hans Sele in 1976. He combined the Greek prefix EU, meaning good, to the English word stress to give the literal meaning of good stress. Eustress is considered to be a positive form of stress having a beneficial effect on our health, our motivation, our performances, and even our emotional well-being. So eustress now has the meaning of being beneficial stress, which can either be psychological, physical, financial, spiritual, social, and even biochemical stress. Now, you may be sitting there asking yourself a few questions like, so then what does it mean to have good stress or beneficial stress? Does it mean that you don't get stressed out? No! <laughs> it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that you stay calm under pressure and bounce back from adversity? Maybe. Does it mean that you do your best to avoid stress? As Dr. Caleb said earlier, no. That is a fundamentally counterproductive mechanism. Does it mean that we can, thinking that we can emerge from stressful circumstances unscathed and unchanged? No, that's precisely the wrong way of thinking about things. Does it mean that we should shift our thinking about how we have the courage to grow from stress? Most definitely. Eustress is similar to having positive stress such as a promotion, going on a vacation, or whenever the feel-good chemicals called endorphins and, and encephalons that Dr. Kaisi talked about with exercise are released in our brain. As we've been talking about stress or distress through this series, we've discussed that the stress really depends on the perception of ourselves, as Dr. Craig brought up last time, and the actual stressor. We also know that when a person feels confident in their ability to overcome the stress or they are more likely to experience a positive outcome of the stress. So what are some of the signs or examples of you stress? People that experience you stress when they feel confident in their ability to solve a problem or cope with a specific situation when they know what they know. Think of a time when you had something that you were required to do and if you were prepared enough for it, you knew it, understood it, then you were able to do it or accomplish it, and you probably even felt a sense of pride in doing a job or a task well done. In other words, you overcame the stressful, stressful condition and it benefited you. Eustress has the following characteristics. It can motivate you. It gives you the ability to focus your energy. It is generally short-term uh, or short experience. It is perceived as something within your coping abilities. It can give you a sense of feeling excited. Aren't we excited here today, guys? Yeah. <laughs> it generally improves your performance. And in the flight, fight, or freeze aspect of stress response, it will give you the confidence to stand up and fight. 
This is a good part of adrenaline and cortisol is it gives you a burst of energy. Now, let me give you a little confession about me. I've been in healthcare for over 40 years. And during that time, I have spoken about and even have taught that stress is bad and that chronic stress will make you sick and can kill you. I mean, after all, I started off with the top 10 killers of what stress is, right? So those are things I've taught for years. Now, as physicians here, it is our responsibility to help people become healthier and hopefully happier. But with some new research out there, I now know that what I have been doing for the last 40 years, talking bad about stress, is that I may have been doing more harm than good. Basically, I have made stress into the enemy that we are fighting. Well, I changed my mind about some of those factors about stress, and now I want to potentially help you change yours. Let me start talking about a study that made me rethink this whole approach to stress. There was a study that tracked 30,000 adults in the United States for over eight years. In the beginning, they asked some simple questions of the participants. And here's the first thing they asked. How much stress have you experienced in the last year? Now, us, you the listeners, right now ask yourself the same question. How much stress have you been under in the last year? Think about that for a moment and let that set in. Now back to the research. They then took that information and they quantified it into different levels of stress. Then they asked the second question. Do you believe that stress is harmful for your health? So once again, everybody listening, ask yourself the same question. Do you believe that stress is harmful to your life? Think about it for a moment and let that sink in. Back to the research. Then after eight years, the researchers used public death records to find out who of the 30,000 people died. Here's what they found out. First, the bad results. People who had experienced a lot of stress in the previous year had a 43% increased risk of dying. But that's not all. That was only true for people who also believed that stress was harmful to their health. So what you believe, as Dr. Craig brought up last time, and why you believe it is critical. Now for the good news, the people who experienced a lot of stress, just like the first group, but did not view stress as harmful, were no more likely to die. In fact, they had the lowest risk of dying of anyone in the study, including people who had relatively very little stress. Now, the research has estimated that over those eight years they were tracking these people's deaths, 182,000 Americans died prematurely, not from the stress, but from the belief that stress is bad for you. They estimated that is over 20,000 deaths a year. Now, if that estimate is correct, that would make him believing stress is bad for you, the 15th or 16th largest cause of death in the United States. That is more than people dying from skin cancer, AIDS, and homicides. Wow. I finally saw that I've been spending way too much energy telling people that stress is bad for their health. So I begin to wonder, and Dr. Craig's helped me with this, but I begin to wonder if changing how we think about stress could actually make us healthier. And after many discussions with Dr. Craig about how he evaluates how we actually think and looking at the science, we know now that yes, how we think does make us either sick or healthy. When you change your mind about stress, you can change your body's response to stress. Think about this. When you're stressed, even just a little bit, your heart rate starts to pound a little bit faster. You feel a little tightness in your chest. You even start breathing a little faster and more shallow. And maybe you even start sweating a little bit. Kind of like us doctors here as we are presenting this information, right? 
Do you think all this research and speaking is easy? I'm going to tell you it's not. If you realize how much time we understand, but for you as the listeners, how much time we spend studying and researching just to put all this together, that's more than just a little stress, right? That takes time of our lives and everything that we have to do. It's about 15 to 30 hours a week, I think, combined I, with all of our – I would absolutely agree with that. Normally, when we look at the physical changes, most people interpret them as anxiety or signs that we aren't capable of dealing with the circumstance or the stress. That's what I appreciate that Dr. Craig brought that up last time. Kind of like public speaking for most people. Most people, what is that, 93% of people are afraid of public speaking. But what if you viewed those changes as signs that your body was energized and preparing you to meet the challenge you're facing or contemplating? Well, then another study from Harvard, that's exactly what participants were told just prior to being put in a social stress test. Before they went through the stress test, they were taught to rethink their stress response as being very helpful, meaning that the pounding heart is preparing you for action. The breathing faster is, is normal as it's getting more oxygen to your brain so you can think and process and react in a better way. And the participants who learned to view the stress response as helpful for the response were less stressed out, less anxious, and a lot more confident. But the most fascinating finding in that study was how their physical stress response changed. In a typical stress response, your heart rate goes up and your blood vessels constrict. They get smaller, right? That's what increases the demand load of the heart pushing against that constriction of that vessel. And this is one of the reasons that chronic stress is sometimes associated with heart health conditions or heart attacks, cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary disease. It's not really healthy to be in that kind of a stress all the time. But in the study, when the participants who viewed their stress response as helpful, their blood vessels stayed relaxed and they did not constrict. The heart was still pounding, but they were in a much healthier cardiovascular response. The result actually looked a lot like what happens in the moments of joy, happiness, and courage. Wow. Over a lifetime of stressful experiences, this one physical biological change could be the difference between a stress-induced heart attack in your 50s and living well into your 90s. And this is what the science research about stress tells us, that how you think about stress is what really matters. So I no longer want you to try to get rid of your stress. I'm not encouraging you to increase more stress either, <laughs> but I'm not, I don't want you to get rid of your stress. I want to help you become better, or all of us here, all of us doctors will help you become better with dealing with stress. And to do that, I want to talk about a neurohormone called oxytocin. We've talked about this a little bit earlier in one of the other series. I'm going to talk this a little different though. Oxytocin fine-tunes your brain's social instincts. It primes you to do things that strengthen close relationships it makes you crave physical contact with your friends and family. It, enhance, it enhances your empathy. It even makes you more willing to help and support people that you care about. But here's what most people don't understand about oxytocin. It is a stress hormone. Your pituitary gland pumps it out as part of the stress response. It's as much a part of your stress response as the adrenaline and the cortisol that makes your heart pound. And when oxytocin is released in the stress response, it is motivating you to seek support. That's why we are here to help. Your biological stress response is nudging you to tell someone how you feel instead of just bottling it up or compressing it down or ignoring it. Your stress response also wants to make sure you notice when someone else in your life is struggling so that you can help support each other. 
When life is difficult, your stress response wants you to be surrounded by people who care about you. Okay, so how is knowing about oxytocin and its reaction to stress going to make you healthier? Well, oxytocin doesn't only act on your brain. It also acts on your body, and one of its main roles in your body is to protect your cardiovascular system from the effects of stress. Heart disease, number one killer in North America. And this stress hormone actually helps you repair. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. It also helps your blood vessels stay relaxed during stress. But a really cool aspect of oxytocin is this. The effect that it has on the heart, this number one killer in America, your heart receptors, your heart has specific receptors for oxytocin, and it helps the heart cells regenerate and heal from stress-induced damage. This stress hormone actually strengthens your heart. So if you got a weak heart, you want to be in some good stress. <laughs> you stress. And the cool thing is that all these physical benefits of oxytocin are enhanced by social contact and social support. Till saying you really are not an island unto yourself, right? So when you reach out to others under stress, either to seek support or to help someone else, you release more of this oxytocin hormone, your stress response becomes healthier, and you actually recover faster from the stress. It's amazing that your stress response has a built-in mechanism for stress resilience, and that mechanism is affected by human connection. Wow. So let's consider this information as an intervention for you. If you would have been in that 30,000-person study and stated that you had a lot of stress in the last year, remember I asked you the same question as the study did, well, we may have just saved your life or extended your life. How, you ask? Because hopefully the next time your heart is pounding from stress, like mine is right now, right? You're going to remember this episode and you're going to think to yourself, wait a minute, this is my body helping me to rise to this challenge. And when you view stress in that way, your body believes you, as Dr. Craig went through that belief mechanism, and your stress response actually becomes healthier. Another great question in the research was to find what distinguishes people who thrive under stress from those who are defeated by it. And what they found was that the people who thrive are those who view stress as inevitable, and rather than trying to avoid it, they look for ways to engage with it, adapt to it, and learn from it. We now know that stress leaves an imprint on your brain that prepares you to handle similar stress the next time you encounter it. Going through stressful experiences gives your brain and body a kind of anti-stress tool or weapon. It helps you with unfamiliar challenges as well as known stressors. What we want you to do is make the conscious choice that when you are stressed, if you will view that stress as helpful, then you can let the experience be an opportunity for you to learn and to grow. And this mindset can actually shift your stress physiology toward a, straight, toward a state that makes such a positive outcome more likely and reducing harmful side effects and stress such as oxidation and inflammation. Once you appreciate that going through stress makes you better at it, it gets easier to face each new challenge. And the exception, I mean, the expectation of growth sends a signal to your brain and body that says, hey, get ready to learn something because you can handle this. People who are good at stress, oh, by the way, that's from Dr. Craig. I learned that from him. <laughs> People who are good at stress allow themselves to be changed by the experience of stress. This reminds me of a couple of scriptures I want to relate here. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
as Dr. Luke brought up in a previous one, gratitude, let your quest be made known to God. And then 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. They hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession and the presence of so many witnesses. So dealing with stress is a fight. We need to learn to fight in and with the faith of God whenever you're stressed. So the major takeaway about you stress for me is simply this. Chasing after the good benefits of stress for your health is much better than trying to avoid distress. And to do that, you need to understand some coping processes. So Dr. Caleb, turn it over to you. Can I uh, interject here for a second? So going along with what you just said there, there is a story I read years ago, and I don't remember who wrote it to give credit to, but the concept was there is talking about the orange trees in Florida and the storms that come in drive the root system to go deeper and deeper to get more secure and to find better water. And they looked at the weather reports and seasons and they see when trees were planted. And a lot of these trees during rainy seasons, when there wasn't a lot of storms, their root system would go really wide, but not deep. And then when a hurricane came through, they'd be ripped up and plucked out of the ground. The other ones that went through the storms and went through the hurricanes, they were forced through the innate intelligence of their design, were forced to drive their root system deeper and deeper to be able to hold themselves into it. So when the storms come, they may seem like a lot, but if we use those to help drive us deeper, and in this case here in my faith and looking through the scriptures and some of the ones you just read there are relevant, these are things I have to look at and say, okay, even when I'm under stress, this is driving me down to get more anchored into the word of God. And the thing they found is the ones that went through the most storms and were resilient, they also produced the greatest fruit. Right, exactly. So when I look at that, I go, where am I at in this stress process? Is this stress good for me? Is it bad for me? How do I take that and make a choice to use that for good? And it's kind of that same concept there is stress drives us to grow, to be more resilient, to be able to handle things. And on top of that, those trees that were able to survive gave more protection to the other trees that were growing around it for the younger ones to survive and achieve the same If, if we take that very concept of Dr. Craig brought this up, I think, last time, you know, what is stress for? Stress is for in an environment, you know, in the old days when a saber-toothed tiger or stasis, whatever, or someone's coming at you with a knife or whatever – you have the power to flee, right? That's fruitful for you, right? And in that same context. And I liken it to the palm tree as well, because the palm tree in a hurricane, it's the only tree that never gets uprooted because it can bend 90 degrees. And I jokingly tell people that's the 11th commandment, you know, flexible, so they'll get bit out of shape. <laughs> but when it does that, it forces the internal structure of the tree and the roots to grow deeper and stronger so they are more resilient. You don't see palm trees, not healthy ones, you know, uprooted. They bend with it, they're flexible with that. And so that's the concept of this stress, that the more flexible we are with stress, and I think we'll conclude to some point that, is there any bad stress? You know, that's kind of what some of this research is saying, uh, that they're looking at the stress and going, no, stress is designed to do something, as you just said, to give a better outcome. In the, in the scripture I quoted in Timothy, and so that your positive good confession is something that you live and it's evident people see that in you. So stress is something that for me that I finally learned that, yes, it can be an enemy, but only if you're doing all the bad things we've already talked about. And what we try to do within the clinic is turn all those around so the body can handle that stress and appropriately build up its memory for it. Then we get better. I, I don't know that I'm quite ready to say there is no such thing as bad stress. I'm sure there probably is somewhere. But if we take that stress and we learn all these, these techniques, 
it's good for us. It makes us stronger. I think part of the challenge is what actually is stress? We started with asking that question. Is it the physiologic response? Right. Or is it our perception? Bingo. Because when we say that word stress, what do we actually mean? That's a negative connotation itself. Well, because here's the funny thing I like to think about. I've said this to people before. When you get under stress, what happens? Your heart races, your blood pressure goes up, your breathing changes, and your stomach starts to feel weird, right? Right. What happens when you're in love? Your heart races, your blood pressure increases, your breathing changes, and you get butterflies in your stomach. That's what's been hitting in my head. When she walks in the room, what happens? (laughs) Right. So it's not the physiologic response that's the issue. It's our perception of it. And that's the whole point of what you're saying is it's how you perceive this activity within your body that's the issue. Or it's our chosen response to that. Which I think a trained really, response to, right? Well, but that comes right. from choices over time yeah, to be trained in that. So it, it's how do we choose to respond to this stress? Is it's really what it comes down to? Well, yeah. Is is the physio physiologic reaction? What is it based on? It is are we looking at the environment and going, "This is bad," and that's why we have the reaction, or is it you get whether I'm, it's financial, whether it's right. political, whether it's social, whether so it's family. It's, it's it, the thing that I tell a lot of people is everything you're experiencing is ultimately information. Yeah. It's what you do with the information that's really the, the perception issue. of it and the handling of it. I agree with you, Dr. Craig. Right. That's awesome. Anybody else? If not, Dr. Caleb, let's talk about how to cope with all this. Well, you know, before we get into that, I actually kind of want to add into that a little bit is you know, talking about how we perceive things or how we view stress. I actually shared a uh, post um, on Facebook last week where it was talking about how, you know, God didn't, you know, when the Israelites were at the Red Sea before God made a way through, he didn't take away the Red Sea. He didn't take them around it. He created a way through it. And if they would have tried any other route, which is our natural reaction, we want to avoid it. We want to escape it, right? It's just going to cause more problems. Things are going to get worse. But if we actually find a way to drive through that, then we can actually get that strength, you know, like I was talking about with the the trees and everything. And just we get that ability to go through other stresses or other storms or other hardships a lot easier. And it prepares us for the future. That's what I found when it it said that it it retrained your brain, right? It's like we've all done this. I mean, like the first time you ride a bike. It's stressful, but after you've ridden it for a couple of times, like, I got this, I can handle this. You're not stressed, you know? Yeah. I, and I don't care what it is in life, whatever we experience, it's the unknown expectation. I think you brought that up last time, or our values conflict. It's it's these things that we're unknown, we don't have any bearing to, unless it's a negative bearing. We bring it up to what it didn't, though. So, like you said, I'm going to be talking about coping, and really, if you look at all of the last episode we did, all of that was really coping styles, coping uh, techniques and strategies. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about the specific process. And again, I mean, we've covered pretty much in depth the majority of what I was going to talk about, especially getting into some of the mental aspects with uh, Dr. Craig last time. So I'm going to kind of be hopefully pretty short on this one and then we'll turn it over. But I do want to get back into that whole thought process of uh, how you approach something. So even just thinking about the reason or why, what you believe about why you have stress is important. You know, we, Dr. Kyson talked about, you know, getting to the root cause of 
why we have these issues. Well, if you look at, you know, psychology today and kind of the approaches, there's really two kind of predominant approaches that are active right now. One is the chemical imbalance model, which this looks at the mental and emotional stress and disorders such as depression and bipolar primary as the result of chemical imbalances in the brain. And therefore treatments focus on bringing those chemicals back into balance. There's another model called the biopsychosocial model, which was proposed by George Engel in 1977. This looks at psychiatric disorders as more of an interplay of the biological, psychological, and social components of a person, and in an effect states that a person does not suffer as isolated organs, but rather as a whole. So the reason why I say it's interesting how even the way you think about this or the cause of your stress can be important, is there was a study done where they actually showed two groups of people. One was explained the chemical imbalance model. The other was explained the biopsychosocial model. And they kind of did some surveys and stuff to kind of see how they responded, what their outlooks were, and what their expectations were about, you know, getting improvement or being able to overcome that stress. It was interesting because in the chemical imbalance model, they found that the people who, you know, were taught that or explained that took on less blame or responsibility. So they didn't blame themselves as much for the stress or for the situations or what they were going through, but they also had less hope of things actually improving. Yeah. So <clears throat> I thought that was really interesting because when you look at the biopsychosocial, they took on more of the blame and responsibility, but they had more expectation that things would improve because they thought, well, if I can change these things, right. then I can improve the situation. Whereas if you just look at chemical imbalance, there's, you know, not any really good clear answers as to why those happen or, you know, especially going through that chemical imbalance model, if that's the cause of the stress, well, what causes a chemical imbalance? And that's where a lot of that confusion, frustration and other things come in because there's no good way to explain that as a cause in and of itself. But when you look at that as a symptom of something else, you know, we talked about the infections, parasites, mold exposure, you know, in previous episodes, how those affect your mental and emotional state. Mm -hmm. You know, when we see that those are causing these other effects and we actually get to fix those causes, then we can completely uh, eliminate the imbalance. We can, you know, fix stress from the root instead of just working on these yeah. little parts out here that are just symptoms, you know, that way we can actually get a more sustainable um, improvement in our life. But it's almost like what Dr. Kashi brought up last time, the I can't versus the I can. Exactly. That's really what you're looking at. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was really surprised on that. I mean, I could, obviously we could get into some arguments based on the different validities of either model, but I just thought I it was interesting. Discussions, discussions yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting how even just the perception of that affected their thought process and their outcome. Mm -hmm. In fact, just even the hope that things can improve require you to take on a little more responsibility for why you're in that situation. And, you know, I think when we look at, you know, our thought processes, our train responses, our subconscious, our unconscious reactions to situations, to stressors, to different things that occur in our life, it really is, we have a lot more control than we think when we actually are able to gain that clarity and to understand why we're experiencing the things that we're experiencing and be able to take that all the way down to the root. 
So again, I'm not going to go really in depth on a lot of stuff, but I do want to kind of go over some categories of coping again and just a little bit on the approach methods. So four major categories of coping is problem-focused. This addresses the problem causing the distress. It works on creating solutions, actually fixing the issue, and being able to resolve that situation. So you actually you know, work through, relieve that stress, process that stress, whatever it takes to actually find that solution and work your way through it so you don't have to deal with it again. Yeah. Or if you do, you already know how to work through it again later. You'll be more equipped to it. Um, emotion focus is going to be reducing uh, or aiming to reduce negative emotions or reframe them to a more positive perspective. So again, we train that emotional reaction and um, that just helps us to be more equipped or more prepared next time we come around. Another way is to work on determining and managing meaning in a situation. Why, you know, mm. what is the reason why we go through some of these situations? And sometimes in life, it's not just about what we do. It's life happens, things happen, people happen, and that creates a situation or an experience that we can either respond to with distress, bad stress, or eustress. We can use that to drive us forward. And if we can gain more meaning or value from that, we can see the value of going through that stress, going through that experience, then we're more likely to push through that and actually build from that. And then, of course, there's the uh, social coping aspect where we, you know, connect with people. You know, we were talking about the orange trees earlier, and it made me think about, you know, the redwoods. The interesting thing about redwoods is these are the biggest trees in the world, right? And you look at them and you go, man, those roots have to go so deep in the ground, right? But the interesting thing is they don't really go that deep. It's more that they interconnect together right. because of how it creates kind of a web of where they're holding each other up. And because of that, they're able to grow, they're able to get the nutrition they need, they're able to sustain all these different storms and different things in life. And, you know, no man is an island, right? right? When we connect, when we lift each other up, when we support each other, just like the Redwoods, we can grow strong and mighty. Amen. And I think we, we often think only of our own root system. We think, yeah. well, my roots aren't very deep. I can't handle this. I can't, right? You know, we right. get in that mindset. I can't handle this. But it's maybe it's just something you can't handle on your own. Right. You know, when we rely on God, when we rely on other people, when we have that support system, we can go through a lot more than we realize. Right. And this is actually something, you know, we were talking, you, you mentioned in the, the research about stress we went through this last year. Mm -hmm. And that took me back to our miscarriage. Mm-hmm. But because of the community of people, because of the people that were able to lift us up, we were, we were able to find meaning in that. We were able to get yeah. through that. And I wasn't expecting to talk about this. So, the <laughs> Lord. But, um, you know, there's a meaning for it. There's a purpose. You know, we went through that so other people could share in our suffering. So other people can celebrate with the pregnancy that we now have and the kid we're looking forward to at the end of this year, you know, there's because of, of other people, we're able to cope through that. We're able that's, to get through that stress. That's the resilience we talk about, you know, you're building with, with this commonality and this camaraderie here, 
we can actually build that where we carry you when you're weak or you don't feel like you can for whatever reason. Right. Life is a team sport. <clears throat> That's right. But oxytocin's for it. Hey, I need you. You need me. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, thank you guys for being there for me through that as well. And for Stacy, your guys' support has meant a lot to us. Um, getting back into coping styles, there's uh, two kind of main categories that I really want to, or um, categories, qualifications, however you want to uh, describe it. There's proactive coping versus reactive coping. So <clears throat> reactive coping is reacting to a, an effect of a stressor, and this tends to be more of a external focus, you know, the environment focus, what's going on around us, we react to that. Proactive coping is going to uh, focus more on reducing and preventing future stresses or stressors or experiences because of what you're going through now, and this tends to be more internal focused. So I thought this was interesting. There was actually a study done with rats or mice where they, you know, they train them to go through the maze for a food reward, right? And after, you know, these um, rats or mice, you know, got to pretty stable, pretty consistent in this performance, they would do a small change. Either they'd put like small piece of tape on the floor or one of them, they turned the whole maze 90 degrees. So any type of external cues from the maze would be disoriented or you know would be different and they watched different rats that were either proactive or reactive um, go through this and the ones that were proactive really didn't have any change they kept going through they they didn't really pay attention to the changes that much because they knew the process they were going through they knew the route mm -hmm. and it, they weren't really responding to the external cues or external environment as much as they were just going through the regular day. It wasn't really anything new. There was something else on the floor or things might look a little bit different, but their route was still the same. Whereas the reactive ones, they would go and they would go their normal way. And then once they got to that part where something was different, they'd be like, wait, hold up. Then they'd start exploring the maze all over again. And it would take them a lot longer. They'd have a lot more mistakes and they'd have to, you know, basically relearn the whole maze, even just by rotating at 90 degrees, the maze didn't change at all. Right. It was just what they saw outside. It was really interesting. <clears throat> so the way you look at a stress or the way you, you think about the stress dictates whether that's good or bad, whether you're able to actually keep plowing through or whether it's going to halt you in your tracks and ruin your whole day, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just something I thought is, was really interesting. Kind of going back to the avoidance or escapism that we talked about last time is, you know, thinking more about how you actually work through it instead of trying to work around it or trying to escape it is going to be more beneficial and you're going to get more value from that like we've talked about extensively you're going to get stronger you're going to be more equipped you're going to be better able to help other people that are going through that okay. you know and that's where i think that meaning focus comes through a lot you know especially with our miscarriage you know there's a meaning for that because of what we experience we'll be able to help other people that are going through that and so i think that's a big part of it now, another aspect that we work with as far as really dealing with emotional stress is, again, that is such a confusing area. And one of the biggest things is getting clarity. And um, I think journaling is a really great way to do that. 
Um, again, going back to those questions that Dr. Craig was talking about, you know, what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? Why are you feeling it? When you can start explaining these or get insight onto what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, then you can actually work to change it. It's hard to, you know, run through a fog, right? Because you can't see the path. But if you can start clearing that out, or the fog starts to clear out, then you can see the path ahead. Stuff starts to make more sense. Sometimes even just reading back through, if you're just expressing your emotions, you let it all out. You know, don't even think about necessarily problems, but just write out what you're feeling. Sometimes when you read it back, you're going, oh, wow, that's foolish. Why am I, why am I worried about that? That little thing, that's what's stressing me out about all of this, really? So sometimes you can just gain insight and say, well, this really isn't as big of a deal. You know, right. it, it actually is a molehill, not a mountain, right? <clears throat> so that's one of the big aspects of journaling that I uh, highly recommend. And really, as we're working with um, patients in the office, I know Dr. Craig is going to go into this in much greater depth later on. So I'm not going to go into too much. But again, the big part is gaining clarity, recognizing what you're feeling and being able to reframe that into something positive that's yeah. going to build you up, strengthen you and make you better prepared to help other people as well, make you more valuable. Um, so. Dress is good. Yep. <clears throat> so with that being said, I'm just gonna go ahead and let it go over to Dr. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no singing. <laughs> What? Let it let go. It let, let it go. Come on, Dr. Luke. Is it getting a little cold in here? Yeah, I think it's getting a little cold. Oh, cold Luke's, Luke's not bothered anyway. by it. He's got the long sleeves. I actually am pretty cold right now. <laughs> no, you're cool, Luke. You're cool, not cool. Cool hand, Luke. Cool. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Wait a minute. What was your version of that song? No. Yeah. You know, it's funny. In preparing my uh, show notes, I... Uh, it, it's let it, the segment is let it go. I typed let it God like three times <laughs> before getting it right. So isn't that interesting? That is little Freudian slip. There, let, let God have it. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, we're talking about our approach to things. I don't, it's interesting as I was writing this, I was just writing it from the heart because this is a topic that hits close to home. So there's really not much of a practical take home. Um, this is just kind of a, a thing where I'm, writing from my heart when I'm dealing with and hopefully leading from the front. And hopefully as I'm vulnerable with you, you glean something from it. So yeah. in this world of social media and influencers, especially healthcare influencers or, or fitness influencers, there's this grand facade where the influencer has their life put together. Everything's perfect. Um, and if like the, the most minor slight inconvenience happens to them, it's like their whole world will come crashing down, but they'll make sure they get it on camera and broadcast it so they can be authentic. Yeah. Um, that's not what we're about. And I'm for sure a little bit out of my comfort zone. I'm feeling it in my heart and in my gut. Yes. <laughs> that's good for you. <laughs> if good. you tuned in from last episode. So, um, why? Yeah, we're going to get to that <laughs> <laughs> because this may or may not be an area that I, you know, wrestle with in life. Uh, so instead of hiding behind social media or behind the podcast and pretending that I personally have it all figured out, I'm the first to say that I do not. Uh, I am a work in progress. Uh, we all are, Amen. right? And that's what we said, Dan, we all are. Right? And, and you know, that can be kind of a hard place for a guy who's in a career and in a calling where it's kind of my thing and my job to solve problems for people and change their life and change their health. But say no, la vie, No right? stress, no stress. Yeah, yeah no stress. So I'm going to be talking about this from my perspective, from my belief system, 
And I hope that, you, again, you resonate with that and it speaks to you and you find truth in it. So be gentle with me as I talk about this topic. Thank you. So I kind of have two speeds. Either I'm doing it, I'm all in 100%. I grasp it, I got the vision and we're going, or I'm not doing it at all. Uh, I'm zero. Uh, there really is no middle ground. Uh, that can be a good thing, but that can also be a not so good thing too, I think. Is, is this imposter syndrome here? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be, absolutely. So within the context of this podcast and being a doctor, I think the most obvious way that this can be a detriment, again, as a doctor, is you sometimes can want it more than the patient. <laughs> not saying that most folks uh, don't want to get better, but a lot of times they're not all in or they subconsciously want to stay in that place of not being well because their identity is in that. Or they subconsciously want the attention, whatever the reason. And this is hard because it's not the cases where patients get better that you think about. It's the ones that don't mm -hmm. or the ones who fall off the wagon or whatever. They just don't improve. Those are the ones that tend to keep you up at night or at least me. Yep. Um, another way this hits deep is because I'm also a person who hates conflict. I absolutely despise it. I hate friction and tension and being put through the fire. I'm a big time people pleaser. You can ask my wife or any one of these guys. <laughs> when I'm in a conflict, it really sucks for me personally. I hate it. It quite literally keeps me up at night. And I tend to overanalyze and I at least have to be intentional about overcoming that. Especially when you walk away from an intense conversation or argument or debate, wondering if you should have said this or should have said that. And even worse, like Dr. Craig talked about last episode, you get into these imaginary conversations in your head and you fight with other people. And it's like you enter into this vicious cycle about things that haven't happened and most likely will never happen at all. Right. And this isn't just conflict that I struggle with. It's pretty much any major life stressor. I have a hard time letting it go. I, again, I'm a problem solver and I'm a fixer. That's what I do. And so why are we even talking about letting it go and talking about stress and life in the first place? Well, because I believe this. I believe that life is hard for most people. I believe that life is filled with struggle and with stress and with toil, with sweat and with blood and with tears. I believe we, uh, we were promised that we would have trouble in this world. And the struggle is to varying degrees for each individual person. But nonetheless, as the saying goes, everyone's got something. And this makes sense because our world's fallen. And I believe in the context of this podcast and within the context of what we do, we work with people who are suffering. We work with people who are broken and seeking healing. So what is the solution to all of this that we're talking about? Letting it go. But letting go of what exactly? I'll end with that point at the end of my segment here. But I'll also say that it's all of this that we're talking about in this episode it's easier said than done, isn't it? Amen. And oftentimes this is the very last thing we want to hear. It's kind of like telling your wife to relax <laughs> when she's stressed out. Because I like to think I'm an intelligent guy somewhat. And it's, it's like the Apostle Paul says, I know what I should do. Yet oftentimes I don't do that, which I know I should do. I do the thing that I don't want to do. <laughs> I mean, didn't he also say, if you wish to be married, you wish a hard thing? <laughs> he did. <laughs> so when it comes to all this, I struggle with letting it go. Convicting enough. I believe personally for me, this reveals a lack of faith. Do I have the faith and the trust that God will handle this and get me through it? Does it mean that it's pleasant? No, it certainly isn't pleasant. But there's still a level of acceptance that I can cultivate 
in the midst of those trying moments. Also, what is faith? We've certainly not been shy about being Christians in our belief system, so after eight months of doing these shows, it doesn't make sense to stop now. <laughs> so let's take a look at what faith is. And I'm going to draw heavily from conversations I've had with all of you guys in the past. Faith, according to the scriptures, is found in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it's defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we like the word substance here because in the Greek, this word is quite literally defined as a setting under or placing under. Uh, a substructure or a foundation, even better. It's firm. It is a substance. It's something you're standing upon. It's real. It's the steadfastness of mind, firmness, courage, and resolution, and confidence. So in other words, faith, going off that verse, faith is standing upon with firmness and confidence the things that we hope for, and it is the evidence of things that we cannot see. So even though I cannot see what the outcome will be in life, and within stressful situations or suffering, I can have firmness or confidence to walk through it with boldness, as Dr. Caleb talked about earlier. Amen. And therefore, Amen. my faith... Oh, go ahead. You know, I just want to add one thought to that. Sure. The, the way I've taken that Hebrews I want and says faith is substance, excuse me, sub meaning under and stance meaning stand. So mm -hmm. by faith, I understand mm -hmm. that God sees what I don't see. And I believe in him Bingo. enough that he's going to reveal that or bring out what I can't see as long as I continue to stand in him or understand my belief is in him. I like to look at faith as the combination of hope and trust, yeah. you know, because a lot of us hope, a lot of us have wishful thinking. A lot of us wish things would get better or hope things get better, right. but actually having the trust to believe that things are going to get better. I think that's that's where faith really comes in. And Corinthians talks about, you know, all the different gifts and says, and, and yet these are things faith, hope, and charity, if you take that concept. And he just says, yet the greatest thing is charity. And what I've always challenged people is, what does charity mean? And most people think it says love. I go, if that's true, then you should be able to go back in Scripture and, and replace the word love with charity, and it'll give you a total different understanding. It's that God's love for us and his giving to us, because one of the definitions of charity is to giving. We think of most in alms, but anyway, just it's yeah. interesting when you bring all that together. Absolutely. And then to close out that section on faith, I had, um, then I can have firmness or confidence to walk through it with boldness. Therefore, my faith or the fruit of being firm and resolute or standing upon that in the midst of trouble is evidence and fruit of my life, even though I cannot see the outcome or an end to that situation. Then I pair that with Romans 5.3 that says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And that goes back to the meaning, <clears throat> meaning of stress, meaning of what we're going through. Right. Absolutely. And then lastly, aren't we supposed to give thanks for all things? Right. <laughs> not necessarily true. First Thessalonians 5.18 says to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Could you change to say because of all circumstances? <laughs> Do what? Could you change to say because of all circumstances? I think so. I mean, because in doesn't mean that we're thankful for it. Correct. In that sense. But because we are in it, it's given us the opportunity to grow and learn more of our faith or our spiritual walk with <laughs> God or with Christ. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. And the end of that is gratitude, by the way. And before that, it says rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Right. right. <laughs> so whether or not you're a Christian, I believe this is a, what we would say is a universal truth or a law that is common to all men. So that we don't have to be thankful again towards whatever is afflicting us. Rather, we can be thankful within that circumstance. Again, going back to that previous verse in Romans, understanding that it is making us ultimately greater and made into the image and likeness or icon of God, especially living a virtuous and fruitful life. Cultivating gratitude within a situation or circumstance and to find meaning and purpose, even within a trying time, can only bring about so much good in your life and to make you a better human being, in my opinion. If you think about it, most great men and women that we look up to in life go through times that are challenging to them personally or undergo a tragedy, but they come out of the other side stronger. And we see this play out in every great story in our time, every book or movie where the main character, the hero, quite literally has to go through hell or go through a big problem and then emerges victorious, right? And even if, here's the kicker though, even if that doesn't happen in real life, if the situation doesn't ever improve or resolve, it's the strong belief system and sense of purpose and meaning that will ultimately bring about a humble and virtuous life that has the potential to leave behind a tremendous legacy filled with meaning that would inspire generations. It doesn't mean that there's no pain or hurt, but it does mean that you may not go insane totally or lose yourself or lose faith, even though all of that is being greatly challenged. And again, you may just inspire others through the fruit in your own life. So Dr. Luke, let's look at James 2 real quick there. Sure. My dear brother in Canada, all joy. Yeah. I always ask what joy is, but all joy when you fall into diverse trials, temptations, tribulations, knowing this, the trying of your faith bringeth what? Patience. And when patience has completed its work, it makes your entire wanting lacking nothing. Bingo. That's that outcome. So if you avoid the trying, if you avoid the stress, you avoid the trials, tribulations, and temptations, uh, wow. Yeah. You're not going to ever get to that point where you have that joy, at least from my perspective. Absolutely. And so to sum it all up, it kind of reminds me of the old saying that's kind of recirculating lately. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. And strong men create good times. I think this is true on a macro scale as far as society goes. And I think that's pretty evident, especially in America today. But I believe that if we maintain humility, there's a sweet spot in there that we can live as individuals within that cycle, especially if we're going through the fire. Again, understanding that if we can let it go and endure it and walk through it with faith and with firmness and with confidence, rejoicing and giving thanks to God, understanding that it's making us more like him and who he created us to be, that it is like metal being purified by fire, thus producing a life filled again with virtue and the gifts of the spirit. So what are we letting go of again exactly? This isn't letting go and letting God and just everything's happy-go-lucky. This is letting go of control and instead having, as Dr. Caleb said, trust and faith, no matter the outcome. You see, harsh as it sounds, God or whatever you believe in is not a vending machine. Mm. We're honestly owed nothing in this life. Each day alive is a miracle and a gift. Now, all of this understanding that all what we're talking about, if... It's paired with action leads to a noble life, in my humble opinion. Am I perfect in this? Of course not. Uh -huh. When it comes to letting go of control, often again, I find myself doing that which I hate and not doing that which I know what I ought to do. 
But this is life, isn't it? Showing up each day, bearing our cross, carrying it day by day, becoming better and better each day, one step at a time, going up the hill with our cross until we carry it ultimately into the place where we die. Shedding the old man in our old ways and living to be the new man in who we were made to be. Thus, by doing all of this, making our little corner of the world paradise wherever we are, and for fulfilling why we were created in the first place, as all the doctors have talked about the last episode, which is to be creative and carry out God's will on this earth and to make it paradise. So let it go. Let go of control and trying to control the outcome and endure it. Again, cultivate gratitude and do good at all times and in all places and make your little corner of the world paradise. So with that, Dr. Craig will close us out. Dr. Craig, bring us home. Well, thanks. I'm glad you said that about control because that's the exact thing I was going to say. So last time we talked about what you at home can do. Today, we're talking about what we can do to help you. So last time I started with awareness and realization. So to me, when somebody comes into the office, that's the first thing I, I want to drive towards is, Kyson talked about you spent your whole life getting to here. Are you aware of what brought you here? Mm. Are you aware of what's driving you? And the second thing is, do you realize you can do different? Because I think that's one of the most important things. Because we've all experienced this. People come in and they say they want to get well, but do they really? Do they really believe they can get well? Those are the two most important things to start with. And then to me, where we start, we've kind of already talked about this. Sometimes we start with just repairing the effects of what's happened so far. What we always do in our testing is what's the priority? Sometimes you got to clean up the mess. Mm -hmm. If your house is on fire, you're not going to worry about feng shui. Yeah. <laughs> you got to put the fire out. Sometimes it's just a little fire in the fireplace and it's okay. And then we can start working on what, what we need to rearrange. But we always want to start with what's the priority. We, you know, we clean up whatever damage has already been done through mold or parasites or whatever it may be. And then for me, I like to dive into the thing I love to do the most. And I call it redirect and reprogram. As I said last time, and as I think it's kind of brought forth, the whole key is in every moment, are you choosing fear or are you choosing faith? Because if you're choosing fear, you cannot be healthy. It's impossible. Right. We have to help them get into that place of faith. And so what I really like to dive into is fear to me is a habit. It's a learned thing. And I think here's what I think is actually the most challenging thing is the problem is your first five years of your life, you are not consciously choosing. Right. You were imprinted upon. Mm -hmm. Now, I know my parents were perfect. <laughs> your guys' weren't. So that's where we we struggle a little bit differently. But <laughs> Hey, I grew up but, the same house as your mother. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's why my kids are so perfect because I was so perfect. <laughs> The problem is we imprint this fear upon our children. They learn not even so much even from the words we say, but from the actions and from the energy that we project. And so what I think happens is the problem is so much of this is buried into our subconscious and unconscious mind. And if it's there, how do you change the way you think? How do you change your programming? So in psychology, typically they're going to use CBT or cognitive behavior, behavior therapy, which is focused on what? 
changing the behavior. Mm -hmm. If you change the behavior, you change the feeling, you change the thought, change the belief, which does work. But I think that takes a whole lot longer. What I seek to drive and dive towards is what are the thoughts that drive the feelings, that drive the behavior, that influence the perception of the experience. So I personally use what I like to call the I am protocol. So here's my question. You ever got mad at yourself? How many times a day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever yelled at yourself either audibly or in your head? Sure. I mean, call yourself stupid or an idiot or. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my favorite question has always been, which one are you? Are you the one yelling or being yelled at? Yes. Or the one observing and mediating the whole process? Okay. That one too. Exactly. You're all three. Now, typically you're going to relate to one of those, which gets in. Somebody talked about the driver aspect, mm -hmm. people that are drivers. Drivers tend to relate towards the one yelling. They're just going to press through and get things done. Exactly. I let's, don't care if you're stupid. I don't care if you're being dumb. We're just, we're going to get this done. Let's, let's go. Cowboy up. Right. Let's go. Right. The, the thinkers, they tend to be kind of the uh, anxious ones. I'm not sure which way to go. Do I go with the parent? Do I go, you know, do I go with the one yelling or the one being yelled at? And then you have the last one, which is the feelers, and they just they just feel everything. They just are overwhelmed. It just I just can't take it. It's just you're making fun of me. Isn't that the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism? Bingo. Exactly. The other the other phrases I like to use to apply to it is you have the inner parent, the mediator, and the inner child. You have the inner parent yelling. You have the inner child feeling and you have the mediator not knowing which way to go. Do I go with the parent? Do I go with the child? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the protocols I use and, and I like to do it because what I can also do too is I can even divide it into left brain, right brain, which gets into your logic versus your emotions, mm -hmm. your thinking versus your feeling. What I'm really ultimately trying to drive towards, and we've kind of talked about this in our energy uh, episodes, everything is ultimately energy. Energy is meant to move and when it gets stuck, we get problems. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeking to drive people towards is where did you get stuck? Where did you take on a belief or an unhealthy program, a fear-based mindset that gets you stuck, that then creates problems and then makes the world hard? Where do we see those most at? I mean, do we see it in social aspect? Do we see it in love? Do we see it in sex? Do we see it in finances? Do we see it in spiritual belief? My favorite answer that you always give, yes. It's <laughs> on individual. That's right. And the time of the circumstance. Exactly. Right? I think something that was interesting for me <clears throat> after, you know, Ben was going through the adverse childhood experience. Um, after that episode, I really thought about, you know, my experiences with asthma as a child and talking about that fear mindset or that fear base is, you know, I realized probably for the first time that <clears throat> that whole experience I went through with all the asthma attacks, the inhalers and all the breathing techniques and all that stuff. It really taught me or put me into a fear-based mindset, a preparedness-based mindset. Because I look at so many other aspects of my life, it's like, am I prepared for that choice? Or, you know, am I going to be able to survive that choice? And because of the life or death nature of the asthma attacks, if I wasn't prepared for something, it could literally cost me my life. Right. That really affected so many other aspects, so many other decisions in my life and how I've approach things and i'm really looking back going man if i could have looked at that a little bit differently or made a slightly different choice or realized that i didn't have to have all of that all figured out before i moved <clears throat> that would have made a huge difference right exactly so going back to one of the things that i think is interesting 
you mentioned the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about this in relationship to these three characters that I came up with. The imposter syndrome actually relates to the inner parent. The inner parent wants to do what we're supposed to do, have to do, need to do. We want to put on that front like we've got it all together. And then you've also heard of the uh, inner saboteur that comes from the inner child. Because the child doesn't believe it can do what it's supposed to or what it wants to do. And so it sabotages itself even as it moves towards being healthy. Right. And this is where getting somebody healthy can get really challenging because you're giving them all the things that can help their body. And yet something deep down inside them thinks they don't deserve it, can't have it, even though they would actually want it. Right. So this is where, I, like I said, this is my playground. Where This is where I like to play. I'm not going to go into all of it. I just... What I think that we have the ability to do, and I'll tie in one other aspect we talked about is we we talked about flower essences. What I have found really interesting is because of the way we test, sometimes we can help people get at what's in their subconscious and unconscious just by the flower essence or gem Mm -hmm. essence that we test to. I've had so many people, we test something and we read it and they're like, "Uh, how did you know that? And it opens up pathways that they never even knew were there. They knew it. They just never, they didn't know how to express them or talk about them. Or it's buried so far down inside them, they'd forgotten about it. Right. Mm -hmm. But but they weren't consciously aware of it. Right. Right. Or they question whether it's real or not, or is it just something I think that's there and they don't realize that. But somebody else brings it out, they go, oh, so now we're consciously aware. Now I have to deal with it. Right. And again, that goes back to what I said last time. I think the whole key is driving things to awareness. If you can get somebody to become aware, they at least have the option to choose to do something different. Right. Uh, to me, that's really what I want to end with. Is I, I think, the, you know, we talk so much about what's the root cause. And I think the, the challenge is by the time somebody comes into our office, they're already in this spinning cycle. Right. And we're trying to jump in in the middle of it and go, well, where did all this start? It's like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. What is it? Right. I, I would simplify it down into this. You're either spiraling downward or you're spiraling upward. Can you be stagnant? Can you? Not generally speaking, no. I would. I would agree. You're either you may live- be in a slow state, a frozen state. You're either living or dying. Right. You yeah. may be very slowly dying or slowly living, right. which appears to be right. stagnant. But really, do we ever stay the same? I agree. So I, here's what I think: the whole thing is: can we change directions? Can we get in there and help yes. you start to change the direction of your trajectory? which to me gets back to what is our whole goal in everything that we do? If they want to. Yes. Exactly. And, and this is where you you got to somehow tie that in there because if you don't get at what they think, feel, and believe, that's part of what brought them to where they are You're to begin with. Right. Exactly. So our ultimate goal is to help you manifest the best version of yourself. Some of this you can do on your own. Some of it we can really help speed up the process. So before I close, any other thought process, guys? Well, I I look at this whole series we've done, and we've, I mean, even today, I appreciate Dr. Luke revealing some of his issues and Dr. Caleb and all of us. And I I have actually gone back and thought about this entire series. I'm going, this was probably one of the most challenging ones for all of us. And yet, at the same time, the best one we've done, right? Because it forced us to look at all these things and really internalize or do an internal inspection and go, ooh, I really have problems here. This isn't comfortable. I don't want to do this. 
And what some of you watching or listening may not know is we sit around and select all these processes. We allow different ones to pick what they wanted, and we just let God put put it on the ones that needed what they needed. Right. <laughs> you know. And so the interesting thing about that is, is that when I look at from beginning to end of this whole concept of stress, is all good. It's all good. You know, whether you want to change or not, it's all good. Well, that's one of the things I would, I guess I would even conclude with too, is one of the things that I've learned is typically when we talk about stress, we talk about feeling anxious or feeling, you know, afraid. Right. And what I've learned is it's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel afraid. Yeah. It's what are you going to do with it that really matters? How are you going to experience that feeling that's really what right. makes the biggest difference? Or in your words, is it? turn you up into life or down into death. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So here's what I'd like to say. If you, any of you are experiencing stress, anxiety, or, or any other health issues, the biggest thing we want you to realize the most is you don't have to keep living that way. And whatever we can do to help you, please call us. We'd love to be a part of your health journey. So thanks for joining us. Join us again for our next series on epigenetics and methylation. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.